Hi guys, my name's Jason Mountford and welcome to this Fortnite's episode, almost said week then, Fortnite's episode of the Hedge Podcast. Thanks so much for being with me on the show this week. Um, I've got quite a few cool things. Well, cool. Maybe that's the wrong word. There's a lot going on, right? There's a lot going on and I've got some interesting and hopefully valuable stuff to, to go through with you today. First things first, I've got a question from a listener, which I think is a, a good one. Really looking forward to, uh, to answering that question from Nick. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the world of crypto. There's obviously a lot happening in that space. Uh, more and more people who I speak to have invested, especially through that big, massive bull run we saw um, through 2020 and into 2021. So I want to talk a bit about that, a bit about what's going on in, the, in that world. And I also want to talk about a, a potential upcoming recession. I first, um, I first talked about this on an episode uh, a while back now, maybe five, six weeks ago, something like that, um, when it was looking less likely than it is now. I'm still not convinced we're going to go into a, a formal recession, um, but that's not to say that the you know it's all sunshine and rainbows. So I want to talk a bit, a bit about the kinds of investments that can hold up well during a recession. Now, you know me, you know I'm not one for picking and choosing, trading, all that kind of stuff. With that said, I think it's worthwhile understanding how different parts of your portfolio can can move, can operate, can provide returns through all different market cycles or parts of the market, market cycle. So that's the plan for today. Um, as always, if you have questions that you'd like to be like me to answer on the show, then please do get in touch with me. The best way to do that is head over to the website, thehedge.io. Um, there's little buttons there to email me to uh, get in touch with me via social media. Let me know what's going on in your financial world um, and what questions you might have. I'd really, really like to, to get that uh, that content from you, the ideas, the stuff that you would find valuable and therefore other people would find valuable as well. I've got quite a lot of interesting and cool stuff and cool is the right word there. Cool stuff coming up on the horizon. The next few months from me um, going to be going to be big ones. Now, I'm not going to be talking about anything just yet, but um, there's been some big changes going on behind the scenes. Part of that is um, why I've been a little bit less consistent with all this this kind of content. So there's, there's plenty of stuff coming down the pipeline, which I'm really, really excited about. So um, so stay tuned, stay with me um, and uh, yeah, make sure you're, you're up for that. If you've not um, signed up for the mailing list yet, sign up for my newsletter, um, you can do that on the Hedge website as well. Uh, and that's where I'm going to be dropping a lot of the, the upcoming details and um, new, new projects that have gone on the go. So anyway, let's get into it. First things first, I want to answer this question from Nick. Now I'm just going to bring this one up. Um, Nick has sent me a question about his finances for his mum. So she has accumulated, uh, she's accumulated a lot of shares over a long period of time. So she's got different inherited pots um, over the years, different companies uh, like HSBC, IAG. He said that it's mainly mainstream FTSE 350 companies. So big companies where she's picked up picked up holdings, picked up shares, inherited them, but they're not on a platform, right? So they've all come from different places. It sounds like a lot of them have been uh, held for a very long time. So maybe she inherited them from her parents or, you know, a partner, something like that. Um, and so they're not in a wrapper. They're not on a platform. She just kind of receives some stuff in the post and receives um, dividends from a whole bunch of different sources. And, and those dividends uh, appear to come directly from the company. So, you know, if she's get, got some HSBC shares, 
and HSBC is paying a dividend, she's just receiving a, a payment into her bank account direct from HSBC or the, the, the registry, which we'll get into in a minute. Now, uh, Nick's made the comment that you know when he manages his own finance, you know he's used to using it one platform. So you know whether he's using Hargreaves Lansdowne, got everything on Vanguard, whatever. Kind of that's the way that most of us invest these days. You know we have a platform that will generally offer us an ISA, GIA, pretty pretty free, pretty common to have like a, a pension fund on there as well. Um, and it's all kind of straightforward. We all do it through that platform that aggregates all the holdings for us. We can transfer between like from the GIA to the ISA. And this kind of old school way of having paper certificates and stuff um, is a bit foreign to us. Now, I know that most of you guys are not probably at the age where you're going to have this problem for your own money. But I think a lot of you may come across this situation just like Nick has. And I see it a lot with, uh, with, with people that I speak to um, on a regular basis as well is that, you know, mum or dad passes away or mum and dad has asked for some help with managing their finances because they're getting a bit old to be able to do it themselves. And this is a really common issue. You know, there's all these different bits of paper that are found in a filing cabinet that show, show you know, uh, old shares that were purchased ages ago. The company since changed hands, there's been a stock split, all sorts of stuff. And so I thought this would be a really good question to share because, yeah, it is an issue that I think is is uh, going to be popping up on the radar for, for more and more people. So I'm going to explain essentially how, how this works. So every company has a share registry that they sign up to. So a share registry is essentially a register of all of the individual shareholders or shareholdings for a particular company. So there's some really big actually really big companies that do this. And if you look on, um, if you Google some of these companies like ComputerShare, um, Equinity is another big one. They actually normally have, a lot of them have really massive market caps. They make a lot of money. Uh, they're very valuable companies, um, but they kind of fly under the radar really because especially now, like I said before, most of us don't tend to interact with these uh, with these companies directly. However, they do still hold all the information that uh, or most of the information that that you need. So, effectively, the best way to do this, if you if you've got a paper certificate and you don't really know what to do from that point, the best way to do it is to get onto the registry for that particular holding. So, if we look at an example, um, I'm just going to type in here. This is my computer. I'm just going to type in uh, Shell Share Registry. So if you have an old stock certificate for Shell or a subsidiary of them, um, you type that into Google, it'll almost always bring up the first or one of the top results will take you to a page on the company's website that gives you the details about how they operate their share registry. So having a look uh, for, for Shell, the first, um, the first result that comes up in Google is managing your shares page on Shell Global website. Go onto that one, and it's got a whole bunch of different information there. So it's it's it says that um, Shell use Equinity. So if it says if you lose your share certificate, please contact Equinity. It provides a whole bunch of information about um, if you want to move your shares, if you uh, have a change of name you want to make, if you want to buy or sell your shares, and so. It gives you all of that information um, that you really need to kind of track where things have, where thing, what's happened, and so often, or 
always, you'll be able to, there'll be like Equinity will have an online login um, and most of the information that you need um, you need in order to access that will be on that share certificate. So there's a whole bunch of numbers. Um, usually they're in the top right-hand corner like shareholder registration number and that sort of thing. And all that detail can be used to actually log into the system and say, you know, what are the current holdings? Um, how is the, the makeup of it and all that sort of stuff. As I just said, you know, even if you've lost the share certificate, but you know for sure that you or someone you know holds shares in a particular company, you know, contacting the share registry that they use can be um, a great first first place to start. Now, the other thing that you can do in this instance is, you know, you can obviously sell the shares directly on the registry, and most of them will, will give you that option. Um, or you can often, or you can um, almost always elect to transfer them. So, you know, in this example, Nick, if you were wanting to just tidy things up, you know, you could pull together all the information from the share registry, um, open an account for your mum with whoever, Hargreaves Lansdowne, whoever you, you want to um, um, open it with, um, AJ Bell, II, whatever, and then arrange to have all of those holdings transferred over onto the platform. Now, the only real thing you need to be wary of in that situation is that the platform that you choose can accept the holdings that you want to transfer. So, the most kind of high profile, maybe that's not the right term, but the most obvious example I can think of where this could be a problem is if you use Vanguard for everything, Vanguard are a platform, but they only allow you to hold Vanguard funds and ETFs. So that wouldn't work. You know, if you open, if Nick opened a Vanguard account for his mum uh, and then he requested to transfer the HSBC shares from their share registry over to Vanguard, Vanguard wouldn't accept that transfer. You know, you need to go with someone who um, who allows you to to hold that particular investment. Now, if they're FTSE 350 um, companies, as Nick said, uh, most of the ones that his mum holds are, then that shouldn't be a problem. You know, most of the big platforms that I've already mentioned will will be able to do that. But if some of them are a bit more niche, maybe if there's some foreign shares, especially, that's when you'd want to uh, really kind of dig into the details, maybe send an email or give a call to the providers and just double check that. Because the last thing you want to do is go through all that effort and then find out you, you have to have two or three different platforms in order to hold hold the different, um, the different types of investment, the different shares that you've got. So thanks very much for sending that question through, Nick. I think it's a good one. I think it's something that is going to – it pops up all the time. You know, if we fast forward 20, 30 years, we're probably not going to have that problem anymore because everything will be have uh, been done online for so long. But at the moment, we're kind of in that phase where people who have inherited shares or bought shares themselves they've held for a long time wouldn't necessarily have bought them on a modern-day online platform. So definitely something that's worth worth knowing. So thank you for that. The next thing I want to talk about is the crypto situation. So cryptocurrency is obviously under a, an immense amount of pressure at the moment. What's the current Bitcoin price? Fucking hell, it's $22,000 um, oh, and, and change, 22000 uh, 20, uh, we've lost it, $22,000, oh shit, literally just refreshed it, $21,000. Down from I think sixty eight thousand at the end of last year was the peak, so it's under heaps of pressure. Uh, Ethereum is is um, struggling as much, if not more, and of course all the altcoins and small projects are you know if you see if you saw recently Terra Luna you know they're crashing, they're they're shitting themselves basically. Terra Luna, Terra USD was Luna was one of the I mean I'm not deep deep into this world but I'm pretty sure it was like 
top t- definitely top ten, maybe even top five crypto holdings by market cap, and it's it's basically gone. Uh, I'm not going to go into all the details of, of why and how that happened, but you know it's effectively that the trust in the system and the belief in the system fell down. The peg that it was supposed to be, um, the stable coin was supposed to be. Um, run by an algorithm that essentially failed and you know that's uh, caused a run on the system and, and caused I think it was 42 billion dollars I think was the figure I read uh, 42 billion dollars of value just completely wiped from from investors so it's pretty bad and it's an unregulated space I think that's the thing we've always got to remember you know there's a, a some concern that there was a coordinated attack on it uh, on Terra Luna um, but you know it is unregulated. There's no one monitoring in this. There's no one, you know, who can retrospectively, you know, punish anyone for it. Uh, just the nature of crypto means that it's um, it's much easier to be anonymous or pseudonymous than it is in mainstream finance. So, you know, I guess it's a it's a it's a warning sign. We've gone through a couple of years of of really frothy times in crypto. Everybody's supposedly um, making billions and millions of uh, of dollars some of the richest people on on in the world now have made their fortune off crypto and it's it's kind of um it's kind of falling apart at the moment now you know what does that mean long term no one no one obviously knows this is definitely not the first uh, crypto winter that uh, that ha- has has happened you know we've seen multiple years of of uh, extended low prices in crypto and they've come roaring back. So, you know, that might continue to happen. Um, I think the key point is that that uh, tends, the, the, the ones that tend to hold up the best are, are Bitcoin and Ethereum and a lot of these smaller projects do go away and, and never return. I think every cycle, you know, has seen similar examples to Terra Luna, you know, very big market cap, um, p- prominent positions in the crypto market and for whatever reason they fail. So I think it's worth being really, really careful. And I think it's particularly it's a particularly strong reminder for me um, because of what's happening with Celsius. Now, if you've not caught this, Celsius is like a DeFi platform. Um, it's essentially, I mean, look, again, I'm not deep, deep, deep in this space, but from my understanding, it works kind of like a, a bank for uh, for the crypto world, so it allows you people to borrow funds. It allows people to deposit funds. You know, similar in the way to to what your your bank does. Now, one of the reasons why I um, one of the not the first times I heard about it, but something that I wanted to raise was that when I had Damien talks money on the show a while back, he mentioned this. Uh, I don't know if it was Celsius uh, specifically, but he mentioned about some of the yields that you can you could get on crypto. Um, I think he was saying it was 17% uh, yield that you could get. So you would deposit money with a crypto platform. Celsius is, I think, the biggest biggest one. You could deposit money with them and they would pay you a 17% yield or 17% interest on that money, on that crypto you deposited. So, you know, he made the comment at the time that from somebody who comes in from mainstream finance, that's crazy, but it's it's legitimate. Now, at the time, or listening to the listening back to the episode when I was editing it, I was a bit disappointed that I hadn't pushed him more on that because, you know, it is bullshit, and I would have liked to get a, dig a little bit more, uh, dig, dig a bit deeper on on his his real thoughts on it and whether he thought it was sustainable. He's a smart guy, so you know, I'm sure he you know he understood that it could be 
um, pulled very quickly and it could all kind of collapse, but I think it would have been useful for everybody listening to dig into that a little bit more. So um, I think it's just served as a reminder for me that, you know, the unfortunately, if it's if something sounds too good to be true, it almost always is. And this is another example of that. So just to kind of recap what's happened with Celsius. So Celsius were paying 17 odd percent on yields. As we all know, you know, what are they doing with that crypto in order to be able to generate a 17 percent yield to you and still make a profit on that on that? Right. And really what a lot of these platforms have been doing is offering crazy yields like this. And this is kind of similar to what uh, Terra Luna um, this were doing as well. Um, I'm not going to get into that. But broadly speaking, a lot of these kind of crypto plays have been artificially pumping up the yields that they've had on offer as a way to entice people to use their product. So the way I've been kind of thinking about it and explaining it is similar to Uber, right? I don't know about you guys, but for me, I've noticed that Uber has completely gone to shit. And actually Deliveroo as well, where when they first came out, they're amazing. You know, Uber was like super cheap. You could get, um, no one would cancel their rides on you, that you could always get an Uber really quickly, way cheaper than a cab. You know, you got mints when you got in, you got waters, like they would play your music that you wanted. Like it was awesome. It was amazing. Deliveroo the same. When Deliveroo first came out, you know, the prices were reasonable. You were paying the same as what you were paying for, from, you know, buying, picking up direct. You pay a little bit of a, um, you know, delivery fee for a couple of quid, like nothing major. Um, all the different restaurants and, and um, you know, food places that you wanted were on there. And now it's like insanely expensive. There's like loads. I, I Personally, I find there's lots of restaurants that aren't on there anymore. The the fees are crazy. Like I think we ought to take away the other day and I was like 40 quid from the shop or almost 60 quid buying it through Deliveroo, which is just mental, Fifty almost a 50% um, increase in the cost because now restaurants are, are increasing the actual price for their items to compensate from for the fees that Deliveroo take from them as well. So the business model for both of these things and for loads of other different products as well, services, is to subsidize the early stage use of this, of the service through VC money and then eventually when you have market share then you crank your prices up. So Uber has been losing money for years and years I don't think they've ever been profitable and that has been uh, that has been propped up by by VC money, by new investors, by Silicon Valley venture capitalists, angel investors pumping in millions and billions of, of dollars on the expectation that once Uber eventually buy up all that market share, they will be able to recoup all that money and then some. So this is exactly what's been happening in the crypto world. Those 17%, 20%, 25% yields have not been genuine yields that have been generated through investments. These are artificial years that have been propped up by investor money in order to, to buy up market share. And by its very nature, it means that as soon as there is, um, as soon as the funding dries up for a company, as soon as it's difficult for them to raise new money, as soon as the market puts pressure on their cash flow, those yields can be taken away. And when those yields are taken away, potentially the money runs out the door pretty quick. And so what's happened with Celsius is that a few days ago, they actually announced that they were poor because, because of the the volatility that's being experienced in the crypto markets, they've halted all withdrawals and transfers from their platform. So that's a really big problem um, for obvious reasons. Number one, if you've got money invested in there, uh, it's locked in at the moment. You can't get it out. Um, And that would be a concern if it was a bank. You know, if you had 50 grand in the bank, 
you fifty thousand pounds, I should say, if you had fifty thousand pounds in the bank, and the bank halted all their withdrawals, that wouldn't be very good because your money's locked in there. But there's a couple of things. Number one, it's fifty thousand pounds. So unless the pound completely loses its value overnight, it doesn't really matter if it's locked in there. Number two, you've got the financial services compensation scheme, which means for up to £85,000 in a bank, even if the bank has done something really fucking bad and they've actually lost your money, which would be very surprising given the amount of regulation on banks, but let's say that did happen, even then the government would step in and give you your money back. You have loads of protection with Crypto and with Celsius, you don't have that protection. So you've got two problems. You've got number one, you can't hold British pounds on the platform, I don't think. Anyway, not you're not going to get 17% on that. You can be holding in crypto. So the tokens or the coins could be dropping in value like a stone whilst your money is locked in and you can't sell because you can't get it out. You can't sell, you can't withdraw. So that's the first problem. The second problem uh, is that um, on the... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? On the terms and conditions that you sign up for on Celsius, and I saw a snapshot of this on Twitter, I think it was the other day, they actually say that in the event of bankruptcy or in the event of financial um, instability, that investors may not get their money back. So they could open the doors tomorrow. There would be a rush on withdrawals. So that could crash the price of the the assets of the crypto that you're holding. But even if even if that and then even worst case scenario, because you probably get some money back in that in that instance, even worst case scenario, Celsius could hold up the hands and say, "Sorry, it's all gone. We fucked up. We've lost all your money. You know, it's a high risk investment. That's the game you play." But I think the fact that they've been selling it as a yield, they've been selling it as a deposit product, makes it seem like a, a bank account, it makes it seem like a fixed deposit. It doesn't make it seem like a highly risky, potentially highly illiquid investment that it is. So it's just kind of reminded me, and I think we can all we can all um, forget a little bit about the risks of investing in things like this, particularly when we go through um, periods of, of really strong growth. You know, I, I've lost count of the, the amount of times I had conversations with people in 2021 and 2020 saying, look, Crypto is fine, but you really need to have it as a, a niche part of your portfolio, not a large part of your portfolio. And people nod their head and say, yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But I just feel like I can get way better returns from crypto and I really believe in it and you know, I've got a long-term view. And so therefore, I'm going to keep 90% of my net worth in cryptocurrency. And like, yeah, I understand the appeal, but I think it's just really important to, to keep keep the risks in mind. That's not to say you shouldn't invest in it at all. And if you've got some spare cash that you can afford to lose, now is a way better time to get in than it was in 2021 when prices are booming. There's a lot more upside potential from a low base, which we're at now. Um, but of course, there's a, a lot, you know, there's always a lot of risk in, in that sector as well. So hopefully that's useful. Um, if you have any particular questions about crypto, obviously go over to the website, thehedge.io, and let me know uh, what your thoughts are. Okay, so last thing I want to talk about is potential upcoming recession. What does that mean for your investments? What can you do about it? Now, again, caveat at the top, at the front, is that I don't, I don't recommend making sweeping changes based on what you think the economy is going to do. You know, even now, recession is a 
a bit of a 50-50 split. I was reading an article the other day from on Bloomberg where they do like a monthly survey of 37, I think, economists and kind of average out whether they think there's going to be a recession in the next 12 months. And at the moment, well, a few days ago, I think this was maybe a week ago, the probability of a recession based on that survey is sitting at 30%. It is rising a bit. I think it was 25% the month before. Um, but that's by no means a certainty. I think we see the headlines from people like Elon Musk saying he's got a super bad feeling about the economy and that that gets the clicks, that gets the headlines, you know, the doom merchants in the media love to uh, love to to throw those up, but really at the moment, the news isn't as bad as it might be. You know, especially when we're talking about the global economy, which we are, because when we invest, we invest globally. You know, consumer spending is actually holding pretty strong um, in many places around the world. Things like loan growth are, are looking reasonably healthy. It's obviously a very tight job market. It's it's quite easy to, to find a new job at the moment. Um, so. It's, it's definitely not a certainty that a recession is on the cards. If one does happen, there are some particular industries or types of investments that actually can hold up pretty well. And I think the reason why I want to talk about this again is not because I think you should go and switch your money into recession-resistant stocks or anything. It's more just about, again, harping on about the importance of diversification because there's almost always going to be some component of the market that's actually doing really, really well. So let's talk about before I, and before I talk about that let me just let me give you an example. So uh, at the moment we all know about we all know about tech stocks right? So you know let's have a look quickly at a couple of share prices so far this year. So Netflix share price year to date what are we at down oh Jesus down 69.85% Netflix. That's pretty insane. Um, Amazon Let's have a look. Amazon share price down 36.81% this year. Let's have a look at one more. Uh, let's look at Meta, which is Facebook year to date down 49.98%. That is brutal. That is brutal, right? So tech stocks are getting smashed and we know why because they've had a couple of years of insane valuations. The PE ratios are incredibly high. They're... Um, Losing users for the first time ever. We're all moving away from using all those products more than ever during lockdown to maybe not using them quite as much. I think it's probably a bit overblown. I think they're probably a bit oversold at the moment. I think, you know, Facebook and Netflix and Amazon aren't going anywhere. So I think it's a bit dramatic. But anyway, regardless, that's what the prices have done. Now, let's have a look at some other holdings. Let's have a look at BP. BP share price. So far this year, up 16.51%. Let's look at Chevron. So far this year, up 37.73%. One more, let's have a look at Shell. Okay, yes, they are up 28.03%. So yes, I've picked three in the same industry, oil, um, which is obviously at a very high price at the moment. But... It kind of just illustrates my point that just because we're seeing all this negativity on the news, it doesn't mean that there aren't pockets of the economy that are actually performing really well. So that then brings me on to companies that can potentially hold up pretty well during a recession. And really what this comes down to, I'm going to use an economic terminology here, which is the elasticity of demand. So the elasticity of demand, it 
basically refers to how much demand can change based on underlying market conditions. So when we talk about a demand that has high elasticity, it means it can fluctuate a lot depending on what's happening in the economy. So let's look at travel, travel and leisure sector, right? So we're talking about airlines, cruise liners, hotels. That, I would say, has a uh, high level of elasticity in the demand. If the economy absolutely tanks, there's going to be significantly lower revenues for those companies. People aren't going to have the money to go on holidays. Uh, if they do go on holidays, still they're going to be probably spending less, staying at less expensive hotels, spending less money while they're there, taking shorter flights. And so those, and though, and people can afford to do that. You know, you don't have to go on a holiday. You don't have to go to a five-star resort. You don't have to fly to Bali. You know, you could go to Spain. There's a lot of flexibility and elasticity that people have in managing that that expenditure item on their personal budget. So consumer spending can fluctuate a lot. The opposite happens. When the economy's booming, everyone's getting paid a shitload of money, the stock market is up heaps, dividend payments are huge. You go to plan your family holiday next year, you think, shit, we've done really well this year. Like I've got a big bonus from work, our investment portfolio's up 25 grand, you know, everything's looking great. Let's let's treat ourselves. Let's go on a really nice holiday this year. Or let's go on two holidays this year. So therefore, those companies do really well um, in boom periods as well. They perform badly during a recession for the reasons I've just outlined. The companies that perform a lot better during a recession or tend to, not always, but tend to perform a lot better during a recession are companies that have a, a low level of elasticity in their demand. So low level of elasticity is the opposite, obviously. It means that regardless of what's happening in the economy, the demand for a particular product is probably not going to change too much. So some really good examples of this are uh, consumer staples, um, healthcare. So, you know, companies like Johnson & Johnson, right? So Johnson & Johnson make, uh, well, you, you may have heard of them because they made one of the COVID vaccines. They make um, uh, like devices for medical use. So things like scanning machines and um, wound dressings and stuff like that. They make a lot of baby products. So, you know, baby wipes, they make um, nappies, they make like shampoos and lots of stuff. I'm sure you've used their products before, Johnson's Baby, Neutrogena. They own a whole, a whole bunch of brands. That stuff doesn't really change, right? Generally speaking, you know, you can't not buy your kid nappies. You can't not buy wipes. You can't not buy them shampoo. I mean, you can, but it would have to be really bad for you not to or to, you know, look to buy a, a much cheaper brand or whatever, broadly speaking, the demand for those things is going to stay pretty, pretty level. Same with medical stuff. You know, here in the UK, you don't care how much a scan costs. Like if your doctor recommends it and you need it, um, you're going to get one. Now, you know, maybe your doctors will be less keen to suggest that if they're getting pressure from the administrators of costs and stuff. But you know, broadly speaking, there's a limit to how much that, that can be impacted. So that demand for those kind of things stays pretty much the same. Same for things like grocery chains. You know, people, um, people test places like Tesco and Sainsbury's aren't likely to see much of a change in their demand for their or their revenues because people still have to go to the grocery store. Now, yes, the, the grocery store, that's very American, the supermarket. Um, 
Now, you know, some people will stop shopping at Wayne Retros and, and maybe start shopping at Tesco. Some will stop shopping at Tesco and maybe stick to Aldi, whatever. There's going to be some fluctuations, obviously. But overall, broadly speaking, they're much more stable. They're much more inelastic in their demand. So really, those are the kinds of companies that can can hold up very well um, during you know, during times of, of economic recession. So again, you know, having that diversification within a portfolio means you're going to have some exposure to to those sorts of companies as well. And that can help even out kind of the, the performance of your portfolio. If, you know, even now if I look at the, the share price for Johnson and Johnson, year to date down zero point nine zero percent. So it's effectively flat over the last twelve months. Uh, sorry, over the last six odd six odd months. So again, it's holding up pretty well compared to some of the broader indexes. The flip side is also true. So again, when com- when the economy is doing incredibly well, when um, you know revenues, uh, incomes are going up, bonuses are going up, stock markets going up, those companies probably aren't going to grow as much either. You know, there's, Tesco probably can't double its revenue year to year. You know, it's there's a limit to how much they can increase their prices. There's a limit to how much people will be prepared to, um, you know, spend more uh, on on their shop when they go each week. So that's the other thing to keep in mind. And again, that's why having this mix is uh, having a mix of, of equities within your portfolio is is really important. And I guess the last comment that I want to make on that um, is that that's also the reason why diversification across different countries is really important. Because different countries are strong in different industries. You know, if you only invest in the UK, you're going to have a very small allocation to the technology sector. And if you only invest in the uh, in the US, you're missing out on some, um, you know, some big players in the in the pharmaceutical and uh, and financial industry. In uh, by by missing out the UK and and even um, even places in places in Asia. So. Diversification, main aim of the game, but I guess that's a little bit of a flavor of kind of why that is and how some of those different investments can perform differently during parts of the, the economic cycle. So guys, that is the episode for today. I hope that has been useful for you. As always, if you have questions, if you have things you would like me to answer on the show, head over to the website, thehedge.io. And while you're there, sign up to the mailing list, uh, my newsletter. You can also get a free copy of my ebook, which is called Modern Investing Fundamentals, which kind of goes through the fundamentals of modern investing, surprisingly enough. Talks about the different asset classes, talks about things like an emergency fund, gives you kind of a, a simple framework to, or a simple starting point for learning more about about finances investing so i get a lot of good feedback on that so completely free jump chuck your email in you'll get a copy to your inbox right away as always guys i really appreciate you tuning in to listen to the show and i look forward to speaking to you on the next episode of the hedge